0: India charts the truth about the markets. India charts publishes Nifty Daily, daily video updates, the weekly Elliott weight outlook, and the long shot report covering all asset classes. The markets moved up from 15,100 odd all the way to 16,000. And I think the halfway journey is done as far as this bounce is concerned, if we still want to call it a bounce. I am still calling it a bounce. It's a good fight between thinking. That the worst may be over out here. Because definitely the sentiment had reached an extreme. Typically seen at major market lows. But what you can't really rule out sometimes. Is a retest of those lows. Once or twice before the final bottom is done. So are we really in for a retest? Are we just done in one round of panic selling? Because that's what happened in the pandemic. But the pandemic was an outlier. It's an unusual event. uh, Which played out all at once. The market started to discount the worst case scenario which is the shutting down of the economy all at once within one month and therefore sold off thousands of points at speed and gave it up uh, there and then so how many times do you see that kind of a sell-off and then a subsequent v-shaped recovery very few times of course you do see v-shaped recoveries like 2009 can also be called a v-shaped recovery but we had a couple of long sell-offs and that actually lasted for more than a year and the typical length of bear markets can be 15 to 20 One months in India and in that sense from the top in October we are done I think quarter of the way because uh, how many months is this October to June is like almost nine months we have at least two three months more to go here uh, after July August September And once we are done with those 3 months, we can at least say we are 12 months done, which is sort of the minimum consolidation time frame we have seen. Now, unless this was a correction inside an ongoing 10-year bull market. So that is, I think, the even bigger level debate. And while I would have thought so probably 9 months ago, what has happened in the interim is a distributive phase across sectors that we have seen happen between i think october all the way to april so in october you saw the banking sector top out in january we saw it and small caps and by april we have started to see metals followed by that oil and gas and more recently we are still seeing highs in the auto sector so which is quite amazing because after so many months of what has been rotational selling into stocks would you still see a single sector outperforming to that degree is pretty amazing so are we then really topping out and doing a rotation or is it was i really right in january and saying that you know this is just a corrective consolidation phase and every time it sells off a couple of thousand points we would recoup back well i was not anticipating those thousand point sell-offs i was retaining the bullish angle but i think from april onwards what i started to sense is that you might break at the monthly and quarterly degree and what is happening in the u.s might have a bigger rub rub off on the indian stock market which is sort of what we have at least seen so far so as we are into the first week of july and the earnings season end of june which is a quarterly closing and a monthly closing we have actually seen some significant weakness come into the indian market for example we have actually seen the uh, monthly momentum indicator that is the rohit momentum indicator continue to be in sell mode on the quarterly chart it generated a sell signal for the first time in several quarters since i think the pandemic gave the buy signal in probably june of 2020 so this is like the first time we are seeing a sell signal after that and so that's a bigger read on the monthly we've been in sell mode for for a while but we haven't really seen the rate of change come back to the zero line so in that sense are we still uh, you know on a bull mode and we actually for this month the bigger thing was we broke the 20 month average and in, in that sense Uh, That didn't happen I think in the long duration bull market the last one that we have seen 2004 to 2008 once that bull run took off even the big sell off in Jan to May of 2004 where you got a 61% retracement of the rally within a matter of 4 to 5 months you did not break. The monthly averages and that we have actually done this month so that's why i would still want the market to really confirm that we are on the bullish path and therefore remains on this bounce back so is the bounce back over i don't think it's over i think we still have a retracement all the way to maybe seventeen thousand or somewhere in between uh, pending at least a couple of more weeks of an attempt to go higher and the way this rally started as i spoke about the uh, you know extreme sentiment readings because uh, we've seen FIs go in extreme short I will be talking about the single data point in so many uh, places including my YouTube video and the weekend with India charts although it's not the only data point there are multiple things that we, that we actually look at for example there's a positive divergence in the put call ratio there's an extreme reading similarly in the 40 day advance to decline ratio so all of these data points when they come together we've even seen the discount premium in in the futures market come down a lot of course not to the Uh, super extremes but uh, to the normal lower end of the range and so uh, many of these things indicate that yeah we've reached one extreme for where the market can bounce back like the volume of puts traded to the calls traded which is the put call ratio also reached a point that we've not seen in a long long time So what do you do from here? Do you only get a bounce and do you see? So certainly it gives you the room to start thinking about a bounce. So talking about the FII data alone, because I get a lot of debate on that, both on Twitter and people who've never seen this data before or not charted it historically, really have no sense of what it really means. Uh, so so the first type of opposition I got to it was on the client side of the data because you know, if you look at US uh, commitment of traders report the uh, from the CFTC, they essentially report you data across segments and the most important uh, two are the commercials and the traders uh, that you put on the same trade and commercials usually in a commodity market mean people who are producers of the goods versus the traders or the speculators on the other side and they hold most of the positions. So you map them, look at a chart of historically how the positions are and you usually find that commercials have a better standing which means that they have the longest long position at market bottoms and the highest short position at market tops and similarly when we look at the same data being reported in india not with the same names but when we look at fii and client data historically the client side data has actually behaved more like the commercials and the fii data has behaved uh, more like the speculative traders and uh, if you don't think so you'd think is the smart money if their long market should go up but the funny thing is whenever FIS have had the longest long position I'm not saying 10,000 or 20,000 contracts but historically when they've reached say 200,000 250,000 contracts long it ended up being close to a market high and similarly when they've been you know more than 100,000 contracts short then they, it's typically been close to a market low. And so when you ended up, uh, you know, getting some some of those numbers, and when you're in between, it's sort of trending. You know, market goes up, they add more longs; market falls, they cut more shorts. So it's not like they they're aggressively taking a position this way or that way. They're just systematic investors. They just follow the market. The market goes up, they're buying more. If the market falls, they're selling more. The only point I pay attention to that data is if it reaches an extreme. And so to me, it's more like a voting machine. It's not really about you know whether the uh, data that the FIs, uh, you know, uh, lead end up generating is really about their size. It may be like someone pointed out, oh, this is 10,000 crores. The India entire investment is, you know, 300 plus billion dollars. And so if that's the size of investment, this is too small, a comparative hedge. And then if it's only a hedge, how does it matter? Now I don't look at it that way, Uh, when you look at data you are really trying to judge sentiment, now ideally you could have done a survey, you could survey all of them and say are you bullish or are you bearish and put that on a list and you would know what percentage of them are really bullish to bearish and that would end up being the sentiment data that you would then use to determine whether the market is excessively bullish or excessively bearish in terms of what all the traders on the prop desks are really saying. So the daily sentiment index which we, we also publish from the European firm Trade Futures is essentially a survey uh, of uh, you know traders they don't do the indian market so which is why uh, this uh, other data is the only thing we have but uh, they do various global markets and based on a survey you get an idea you know what percentage of people are traders are bearish or bullish and so you have to really subscribe to that data to know what the outcomes are and i publish them on the india charts blog for those who are interested but uh, when it comes to FI data it's similar to the cot data and so that is published by the nse and you look at it as a voting machine so if all the FIs are bullish naturally uh, their actions show it which is that they are net long and if if they increasingly bullish then their net long position reaches an extreme and then they're probably overly bullish and so that's how uh, i read into that and so at the most recent low i thought it had reached an excessive pessimism point because uh, at the month of the pandemic march 2022 second uh, 20 second week they were shot by around one hundred and seventy four thousand or seventy-five thousand contracts and that short position was the highest in history and i think the semi probably sensed it that these guys were going aggressive and they came out with a ban on short sales in the futures market on FIs, and they were really not able to add up to that so this was the data by the 11th of that month 11th of March 2020 and after that the market continued to sell off third week of the month it bottomed out bounced back now the short position we saw in the month of May of 2022 that is this year had reached 135,000 contracts I thought that was the highest and the market would bounce it did for a little while but in June we ended up with an even larger short position at 145,000 contracts by mid of June and then from there the which is when we reached 15,100 and since there we've been. Bouncing back, and so the data is cut back. Uh, we've come down to a 60,000 contract short position now, which is significantly reduced from the 145,000 contract. So, more than half of the short position has already been cut by FIs in this thousand point rally, but it's not yet gone back to zero or positive. So, I think there may be still some room for short covering. We can argue, you know, whether they will or they won't, but we are mid month, and usually mid of the month, I wouldn't really take a call on. Uh, you the trend really changing and so i'd let this play out for the current expiration uh, let them uh, you know cover some shots and i think technically there's room for this momentum to stretch a little more because not every sector has yet participated in this counter trend bounce as we are calling it and uh, specifically in terms of you've seen a little bump up this week in metal sector we didn't see so much in it which is the first sector reporting results and you'll have a lot of results next week so seeing the it sectors Reaction to the TCS results over the weekend also might tell you something about sentiment. If bad news is good news and and it's taken as you know that this is probably the worst getting priced in and the market behavior shows that that initially after a drop down, uh, you know, in uh, tech tech stocks start picking up, then you might get that positive rub off and it would actually mean and signal a change of sentiment at that front. And so you would want to see these bounces come across sectors before you can actually say that uh, you know you've priced in the best case scenario because you will increasingly find people starting to not only call this a bottom at fifteen one hundred, but uh, probably a lasting bottom the higher we go the conviction will increase and you'll reach a point where conviction is at its maximum which is where i then want to judge whether that conviction is based on reality or simply hope and to do that you will have to look at a couple of things, you really want to judge how uh, earnings are going to pan out for the rest of the year and how global markets are really going to pan out because this has not really been an India story the Y2K bubble popping was also not an India story, 2008 India's GDP grew by 7% uh, even at the end of the uh, you know great recession which caused US banking sector to really unwind in a big way so when those things really happen, it's not necessary that you know economic growth in India is really coming to a halt because we've continued to grow at many points of time in the past. But we do gyrate from points of overvaluation to undervaluation. And so that has happened, I think, at each of these times. We've gone to 30 times or 30 plus times in terms of price earnings ratios, which is a high valuation for the Indian market. And then during these specific bear markets gone back to, uh, 10 times in terms of price earning ratios in between phases we've many times bottomed say around 15 times or 16 times or 17 times as we did in the pandemic and we are sort of coming back close to that level a few points more and we will be at pandemic valuations but the question is and also this data when i'm saying pandemic valuations is based on the new consolidated p ratio so if i go by the old data probably we already below that data point because the uh, non-consolidated earnings would be much lower. In fact, if they they would be lower, the P-Ratio would be higher. So, you would, you would actually appear more expensive. So, wrong of me there to say that we would be lower. So, we would be higher, but now with the consolidated picture, we, we are actually closer to the pandemic valuations. Now, having said that, the question is, can we really continue to unwind valuations to a lower point? And that would typically happen in a bear market of larger degree. where And the risk of that is more from... The US market because the US is not only raising interest rates, which is one part of the risk, but actually tightening liquidity through quantitative tightening, which is reversing its quantitative easing book by unwinding treasuries on its uh, balance sheet which which are to the tune of I think they started with 30 to 50 billion dollars and by September they're going to be doing I think 90 billion dollars if I'm not wrong of what I remember in terms of the data points and if they're going to be unwinding that much month after month that's going to be the negative liquidity impact in terms of global flow And will that negative liquidity impact be sufficient to slow down the world economy irrespective of whether they are raising rates or not further beyond a point where they think inflation may be cooling off. So they may even slow down their rate hikes. A lot of people are using that as a reason to be long the market. But if the tightening of liquidity leads to a further contraction in growth, then the risk of a recession will still remain on the table or at at least if not a real growth recession you might end up with an earnings recession and uh, you know one or the other of those factors would continue to put downward pressure on US equities and so that rub off on other markets would then continue keeping open the odds of us moving towards the lower valuation band of our long term bull and bear market cycles and so that's something to watch out for should we say therefore just judge because the market bounces back to 17,000 that the worst is over or should we keep odds of this uh, you know uh, open that you know things can uh, get still get worse from here before they improve in terms so when i think about it in terms of time for bear markets or even consolidation phases then i think it it requires a little more time uh, in terms of you know depth maybe it requires more depth and certain indicators and levels breaking say that the market is not in a runaway mode like it was probably post 2002 and uh, even in that environment we at least had a weak dollar environment which means the dollar had already started its bear market in 2001 and it did not reverse course which is what i thought in 2020 and was uh, bullish for that reason from 2020 to 2022 but moment the dollar broke out of its five-year range i think that was another reason for me to finally say that uh, you know move from a standalone bullish and consolidation mode to maybe this can get worse into a deeper bear market. And so I've called it a bear market already officially some time back and I'll not change that stance till I can get a clear sense that all of these macro factors that we are watching uh, you know, fall into place and uh, start supporting the market for an upward journey. And that's still not there. As you're seeing, the INR has already hit, I think, around uh, 78, 79, something that I think a lot of people were not anticipating. And for long, it looked like there's an ending pattern on the USDINR and should have reversed with the falling dollar uh, in 2020 to 22 but apparently the USDINR did not it remained uh, weak uh, relative to other markets and now when everything else is weakening it's actually remained strong relative to other currencies so it's sort of done the in between probably the RBI has managed to you know contain volatility in the rupee based on what was happening in various markets on both ways i mean even when the dollar was getting weak or when it was getting strong they've tried to contain volatility but on the weak side it's always difficult because we are still a net importer of goods and services we always have a trade deficit and add to that we are a net importer of oil and gold and so it creates a problem for us you know so so we are we are a country which has a dual deficit and that typically means we need currency reserves to really buy goods and services from abroad and if we need to do that in dollars then a shortage of dollars is usually a problem so as long as our financial markets are strong or in a bull run we end up attracting fdi or fii flows which sort of fund our requirement for net imports but whenever the equity markets or you know uh, the economy slows down you get a a reverse flow of that money then it becomes difficult and so the RBI is trying to manage that through dollar sales in the market but i think now that they've moved towards interest rate policy as a management tool that has become a little more difficult they've sort of had to back off from keep on selling dollars in the market and so you're seeing the usd in a run up quite a bit now adjusting with where the rest of the world is on the currency and I'm not sure that currency adjustment is completely done with Uh, I was hoping for at least a short-term pullback even that is not happening so while the nifty is starting started its bounce and halfway through the USDINR is just not giving way or joining in on the other side in terms of getting a little stronger even in the short term so that sort of uh, you know keeps the red flag out there I still continue to anticipate that pullback, but say if it doesn't happen we will be in a scenario eventually where both equities and the currency will be falling simultaneously, which is the typical inverse correlation between USD, INR and Nifty. But we are not there yet. Uh, we are still seeing a divergent move between these two uh, you know, assets, which is usually not the case. So you have a weakening currency at the same time as you have a stronger stock market, which is not what you usually expect. Uh, but going back to what I was talking about FI and client data, you know, one more misperception is on the client side as well. A couple of people came up on Twitter and discussed, said, no, retail is long, market can't go up. Now, essentially, they were looking at the large positions which the client side shows. And like I said, the client side is the opposite of the FI side, just like the commercials. And why do we say, Its behavior is similar to the commercials because I don't think it's all retail money. You know, apart from FI, the largest, I mean, the other three components are prop and mutual fund. Those are not really large in terms of the amount of value being reported. Everything is reported under client, which would sort of include all the large investors, which is HNIs. I would say, even if you call HNIs, you know, large enough HNIs operators that can be capable of moving stock prices, then all those large investors are probably read into in the client side, including corporate books and. So if all of that is client data, then the largest and smartest section of the market is client and that's the behavior you see. You see the largest long position on the client side at market bottoms, which is also what we saw recently at the recent lows that FIS were short and the client side was significantly long compared to previous market lows. And therefore, that was also another good reason to expect that uh, the smart money gets paid off through a market rally. Now, of course, both positions will reduce as the market continues to go up profits get booked the client side position will also reduce from long to maybe nil or maybe zero or maybe marginally long and so we will take a call at that point of time what the market really wants to do does it want to continue with that trend or is it going to reverse and have all these other macro factors from the dollar to us markets to a potential us recession or an earnings degrowth over the next couple of quarters really changed and is it going to put additional pressure on equities in general or are we done with this deflationary trade, and are we starting to bet on a Fed pivot that will that is likely more sooner than later uh, in terms of money printing? But I, I, it's really amazing to think, you know, that they've been through with this for so long, and they're facing this uh, serious problem with inflation. Are they going to just back off in like one or two quarters of, you know, tightening? And uh, sounds a little difficult uh, for for someone to really change stance that fast. And especially if it's based on different forms of data, you know, uh, I, I went into great length in terms of explaining in the last episode that inflation comes from different forms. One is expectations, which is sentimental. The second is, of course, uh, monetary policy. And the third is, uh, uh, you know, when prices just uh, go up because of, you know, things like food and energy. So those are structural so you have different reasons why it happens and how you can manage them can food and can a decline in food and energy prices really be sufficient to bring down inflation if expectations are still of prices going up and so i think that's the bigger fight it's more psychological than simply bringing down the prices of some things otherwise prices of a lot of things have actually come down and uh, if uh, if that decline in uh, prices of the underlying which is raw materials is really leads to a reduction in prices of Uh, goods uh, in terms of the output prices then you probably have much lower inflation readings and expectations start to reverse but if say uh, commodity prices come down but you know uh, frontline producer prices don't really come off uh, you might see initially a expansion in margins because of the spread but it means that inflation expectations uh, remain high and then you know uh, the decline in prices doesn't stay for long because eventually everything starts getting priced up again and so it can be tricky uh, but i think that's the and it takes time for these things to sort themselves out in terms of changing the expectations of the market and uh, that's the bigger judgment call i think in 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 for all the central banks to really take to uh, be able to come up with the right decision in terms of what they should do so it's going to be a watching game i think this is not one where you can preempt uh, what the outcome is going to be I would really want to watch and see how they respond and react to the data and based on that really take a call that the worst is over and that things are really going to change. I'm not going to really be a take a preemptive view on this one. Uh, If the market was in a state where I would like 2020 felt that way because you had a deep cut it was worth taking that preemptive view and eventually the stimulus and other announcements came along and aided that rally to a great extent. Uh, In this scenario we don't have that yet and so uh, we are not in, in in such a point where you want to take a preemptive valuation call. And so, if you are trying to take a preemptive call that you know things just go back to normal somehow, and that the unwind, unlock trade that we were really chasing is really back here to stay and is going to result in growth rather than just going back to normal, then you have a story to tell. And uh, other than that, then it's down to doing stock picking, which is more bottom up, which is sort of what I hear most of the fund managers say that they're going to move towards a more bottom up approach and a more bottom-up approach simply means that uh, they'll try to identify individual stocks that are continuing to grow irrespective of the market and as long as there is no negative force on the market from external factors those kind of stocks would probably outperform uh, in generally dull markets so uh, i think that's the general approach i can hear whether we should take that approach or not Uh, maybe with a certain percentage of your portfolio, but going all in, I think for me is going to be a little difficult till I get the other parts of the puzzle sorted out. So that's how it's going to be. And uh, one last pointer I'll talk about, uh, and this is going to be a complete divergent from everything else I've spoken of so far, which is the gold versus Bitcoin thing. Now, of course, on a five-year basis, Bitcoin's done really well. But the reason I took brought this up is a very, very different scenario. When do you really think about gold performance? Because... If I take a long enough period of time, I think even though gold prices have gone up many times, uh, gold's general performance relative to equity has not been good for a long, long period now. And uh, so when would you really see it help in terms of a portfolio hedge? And I think the answer to that is when you get a currency crisis. So in places like Venezuela, Argentina, uh, many of these, uh, Turkey for example, wherever you've seen currency crisis uh, or you've seen a hyperinflation, in those nations, like even in the Pakistani rupee, for example, has fallen a lot. So in these places, if you actually end up owning gold through your savings, which means your savings are largely held in gold instead of cash, you at least end up getting currency protection. So if the currency is falling relentlessly, to that extent, prices of gold actually move up. You know, So even if price of gold may be coming down in dollar terms, the appreciation that you end up getting in cur- constant currency terms because your currency is falling against the dollar at a much faster rate would actually uh, you know, sort of cover up for uh, that uh, more than anything else. So, so I think that's the single environment in which you can actually think that gold helps as a hedge uh, and if you actually look at it because Bitcoin is very very volatile. Uh, it's gone from what 60,000 something to 20,000 something and uh, this is at a time when the dollar is really rising so the only time Bitcoin really goes up is when the when the dollar is really falling uh, and uh, if you uh, and so that's also a chart I published I think in the last long short report you know showing the inverse correlation very very similar to gold that it started behaving like a risk asset where it tends to move up a lot when the dollar is falling so it's really become a dollar hedge but is it a hedge against every other currency decline so that was my main point for example if you got a huge drop in the argentinian peso or in the uh, you know turkish lira uh, what would happen to the price of bitcoin versus the price of gold now when bitcoin was appreciating it probably didn't it probably did as well uh, as gold uh, in their particular currency but at a point like today when the price of bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies are falling then gold would actually appear to do much better so these are the divergences to really think about i mean unless uh, you really need a non volatile asset uh, to help you protect against currency which is saleable equally acceptable everywhere and if it stays constant in terms of price or doesn't move too much up or down uh, then it ends up holding your value in terms of the currency uh, decline uh, in the uh, as an underlying asset but uh, if you end up with something which moves significantly the other way then it may or may not provide you that currency protection so that's the that's the only thing i wanted to uh you know highlight over here in this particular scenario but of course if you get another dollar bear market uh from that point on if bitcoin maintains the same behavior it has done for the last 10 years it would go up a lot more in a dollar bear market so that's uh that's the only trick of course that presumes that by that time it will not have been made illegal or been you know run down by governments in terms of its acceptability or uh, its sustainability or simply its legal status so that's a, that will remain key to uh, if it becomes an unofficial asset then uh, where do you really run with it so i don't know if that will really happen but with all the mess in cryptos you don't know whether they'll you know tank down on everything every asset or whether it will only become uh, it will simply clean up the space in terms of those actors which are not able to Uh, survive so is it just a survival of the fittest game going on or is it really the end of an entire system so let's see how that story unfolds and uh, that's all i think i have for you uh, this week and uh, until next time uh, thank you nothing in this podcast is investment advice views on financial markets are in good faith to expand your understanding of how markets work please consult a registered financial advisor for the same And yes, please share this podcast with everyone you think can benefit from this knowledge.